The comments within the following podcast are those of any show hosts and not representative of any company in which the show hosts may represent. Welcome to podcast number 335. Trend Micros Predictions from 2019 and trends for 2020 the big segment for this particular podcast i am curious on your thoughts as we dive into the numbers how could we change the bus systems automated voice announcement systems i'm going to be doing a talk in just a couple of days as the accessibility unit of Los Angeles Metro will be giving out accessibility awards and the steering committee will be having speeches. Finally, I was able to attend a webinar on the Canute 360. I give an overview based on how I understood the demo and I stayed for a few of the questions. To be fair, I did not stay for every single question, but when a recording becomes available, I'll be sure to check it out and see if there's something else I can learn. And final thoughts and contact information is available at the end, as always. I hope that you will enjoy the program as much as I have bringing it together for you. Links will be available on the blog and the show notes. And with that, I bid you a good day. And we'll see you on another edition of the podcast coming soon. Let's get started with Trend Micro. Welcome to podcast number 335. This podcast is going to start out with some commentary from an article that sort of caught my attention from Trend Micro. And I wrote up my own thoughts about it, but yet I didn't take the article for Baton because it links to all sorts of stuff. And this article was posted on the 6th of January. You can find it along with my comments at technology.jaredreimer.net. 
The past 12 months have affected everybody this past year. And from what trends are showing, it won't be slowing down. But question, what do you think is going to happen? Do you honestly think it'll slow down? Do you think it'll be disrupted somehow? That's sort of the question I ponder when I titled this. I want this to be a pondering piece. I want you to think and I want you to understand what is happening because we really don't know how it's going to shape out as the year progresses and as I start podcast 335 we're only on the ninth day of the month and here are some of the biggest threats from 2019 and Most of the ones, or some of them anyway, were the ones that Trend Micro warned about. They have really had a great track record in predicting this type of thing. And of course, not all predictions are going to be 100% accurate but when you get into a field you really know it very well I don't claim to know security as well as some but I do reading like articles like this and I could form my own opinions I've even come up with my own predictions of what I think would happen I've never really looked back at them, but, you know, based on what I read, a lot of it can make sense. And this is what I need to do because this is part of my network that I have to protect. This blog is only one piece of an entire network of websites including, but not limited to, jaredreimer.net, jaredreimer.info, and family-related websites. With that in mind, let's talk a little bit about what the article covers. And if you want to read the full article, please find it again on the blog, and I'll do my best to link to my notations of it in the show notes. The top five threats of 2019 is one of various headings in this article. Cybercrime is a chaotic, volatile world. And of course, do we honestly think it'll disintegrate? No. Could it slow down? Possibly. 
I know there's technologies out there including Apple Pay, Google Wallet, Yahoo Wallet, and other types of payment methods. I only know of Apple Pay being in stores because I've recently utilized it myself. However, Google Pay is probably out there as well. And I think I'm noticing that if you have a chip-enabled reader, then chances are they would take Apple Pay at the register, and that could be quite interesting. That aspect of this I describe in my article. Our homes are increasingly being on the internet. And while I have a Google sitting next to me, and I have a Wi-Fi thermostat, that's all I have here at this location. But some homes have smart TVs and other gadgets that may pose a problem. U.S. households own one smart home device. Voice assistants, smart speakers, and others are part of this. I do have one voice assistant and one smart speaker. If you call the Sonos a smart speaker, it does have a companion app that you have to use to run it. Routers are particularly vulnerable nowadays, and threat actors have been known to take advantage of weaknesses. One of the things I would like to tackle is figuring out how to log into my modem and router to determine if there are any updates and applied set updates accordingly. 83% of these devices are vulnerable to attack. And there were an estimated 105 million smart home attacks in the first half of 2019 alone. Picture that, folks. I didn't cover this in my article because I don't want to go into detail of it in text, but I covered the headings and my thoughts based on those headings of the article. But in the voice podcast, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to open your eyes a little bit because you have more time to do that than you can write about it. And remember, a lot of the things are linked in the article so you can link to these things and learn more on your own time. Endpoint threats was another problem in 2019. The Trend Micro Network detected and blocked more than 26 billion such email threats in the first half of 2019. 19. Nearly 91% of all of cyber threats 
including phishing attacks designed to trick you into clicking on a malicious link. Think about that. The phishing attacks to steal your data, such as logins and other types of financial data. 26 billion email. I can't imagine having to block all that much email on my network. These particular emails, in case you are new to the podcast, will trick you into handing over your personal information and they take you to legitimate looking but spoofed websites. I was looking at one such email from Apple. At least it said it was from Apple. My curiosity wants me to see where it goes so that I can continue to teach people what's happening. The fishers are now using pages on the domains. So apple.com slash something is what I saw. And it looked official. Michael in Indiana sent me one of his emails and I went to that link on one tab and another tab I opened Apple's website and it visually to my one good eye looked very if not exactly similar. There could have been some image differences I'm not saying that it was completely the same, but visually to my one good eye, it looked pretty familiar and looking quite the same. That is scary, but making sure you look at the URL as well as email addresses can help because they could spoof an Apple com address but remember that fishers will utilize tactics that you can spot mobile security threats may continue to be a problem in 2020 they were a big problem in 2019 This particular section talked about Android-specific things. And while there could have been some Apple things as well, we can't eliminate them from the picture. My honest opinion is that none of these ecosystems are completely 100% safe, although the Apple ecosystem has done a pretty good job in eliminating these types of threats. As far as the blind community, we aren't really targeted for apps that could 
potentially harm us. What they want from us is the accounts, i.e. something's wrong with your Apple ID, so log in here to verify it's you. What does that do? That pretty much verifies our login. But I'm pretty confident that two-factor authentication, if it's set up on your account, will protect you if you happen to fall victim of that trap. And I'm sure that people have. Over 25 million handsets on Android were affected by mobile issues. And it was global. Agent Smith was the one mentioned in this particular article. Social media attacks are really going to be on the rise and were on the rise in 2019 because you have Twitter and Facebook and Messenger on your phone. The end goal is to make money by the hacker, either by stealing, flooding your uh, advertisements, <coughs> and screens, ransomware, or other types of data. Some of these types of things have been known to call at your expense premium rate numbers and they own these things. Hackers are definitely after our logins and the biggest problem on the third item here is online accounts under attack. Here, from November 2017, over 55 billion such attacks, which was only up to March 2019, and that is the number that were detected. If that number from 2017 to 2019 included all of 2019, the number would be much higher. 55 billion from November 2017 to only March. That's only about a year and some months. We all know that breaches are everywhere, and it's a big-time problem. Literally every day now, somebody is reporting somewhere on a website, whether it's something that I follow or somewhere else that is credible, somebody has been breached. It isn't going to be a surprise if this is a continuing trend. 
we all interact with plenty of stores and companies continue to be targeted. As of November of 2019, there were over 1,200 recorded breaches alone, exposing 165 million pieces of customers' data. And now, as we know, they're stealing card data directly from the merchants. They don't need to go to you. Why? Because merchants keep that information. Why? I honestly do not know. Question. How could we solve this problem? I'm not exactly sure, but it's definitely something that has been on my mind. I don't keep your data if you do business with me. I had at one point had a database with your credit card number, but that database was local on my machine. And when I did decide to back that up, it was in Dropbox. And we all know that not all services are safe, but what I've heard from Dropbox, none of the private data was ever taken. So I'm pretty confident. And today, that database is out of date, and I should more than likely delete it at this point. Smart homes will continue to be under siege in 2020, according to this article. Social engineering online and by phone. Just in the last several days alone, I had been called by various phone numbers telling me that I can get a 0% interest rate on my Visa card. It said it was from Visa and that I could get this. The Chinese consulate jabbering in Chinese. And of course, there was a third one and I don't remember what it was about all in the last couple of days. Americans are bombarded by 200 million automated calls each day and 30% of them are fraudulent. And more recently, tech support scams have been the biggest bait. Hi, I'm Apple. I have to notify you that your computer is running malware and I need access so that I can fix it. In actuality, they install the malware and your computer is just fine. Social engineering can be used to extort money. In fact, several people online have added me to Twitter, asked me 
to go over to WhatsApp, try to get to know me, which I don't tell them a whole lot, then ask me for $100 iTunes gift cards or money. And when I tell them that I don't have that kind of money, they quit talking to me. In fact, one went so far as to tell me that they would get their lawyer on me. I said, bring it on. Then I can tell them what you're doing. Asking me for iTunes gift cards and you haven't even called me. They said, how dare you interfere with my business? Well, you're the one that's threatening to get your lawyer on me. And I'm still waiting today. These are the types of threats that I've been aware of. And all I want to do is meet somebody. You don't call me. You try and woo me by text. Telling me how you're nice and you're caring and you're this and that. One said they actually wanted me to pay for them to come down here during the Christmas holiday. I don't have the money to fly people out here. If you want to come here, that is on your terms, not mine. One of the things that the article also talks about, and I've seen this both on jaredreimer.net and even our 986themix email addresses, including management, was that the hacker wants to convince you that they have and will release an image of them in a compromising position. They send you an MP4 file which has the same name as the email address they're mailing and they'll tell you to pay in Bitcoin. I've blogged about this numerous times and showed examples without including any type of file. I haven't tried to open the file and I'm not about to find out. Trend Micro detected a 319% increase in these attacks from the second half of 2018 to the first half of 2019 and it wouldn't have surprised me if by the time they publish another one from the first half of 2019 to the first half of 2020 that it really becomes a problem. More mobile threats will be on the move because we have our phones. Everything from Twitter to Facebook and the like, as I said above. They could steal web sessions and identity data and logins. And more malware will be on the rise, which means our phones must be updated when updates become available. Since I got my iPhone 11, it'll be interesting to find out how the update process will work because when I got my phone I told my phone I wanted to update and it went to go get iOS 13.3 that seems to be the latest update 
for now. All online accounts nowadays are fair game. If you have an online account, you're going to be at risk. It doesn't matter if it's email, social media, gaming, or the like. Gaming platforms were really targeted, and it wouldn't surprise me if that continues to be the trend today. Especially since a lot of online games that the sided play have monetary value. And while some blindness-related games do have monetary value, like the blindfold games where you have to actually buy into the game, whether it's coins or tokens or even something to help you so that you can play a little longer, the sighted community has more of that than we do. Not only are personal information going to be at risk, 12 billion of the accounts had credential stuffing attacks ranging of 55 billion of those. Credential stuffing attacks are those that deal with taking over the account. Computer worms will become more prevalent according to this article. And the WannaCry ransomware was just the beginning. Marcus Hutchins, who was recently freed in 2019, was hailed as stopping that worm by registering a domain found in the code. That was what helped him get out of jail as time served, as recollected by Security Now in the 2019 retrospect. My main goal of this particular file of this podcast was to go through that section. Of course, they recommend using their products, and we all know that Windows Defender or Microsoft Security Essentials is the only tool that the blind community can use. I know of Malwarebytes, and I don't know how it works. Some people said it works quite well. Nowadays, you can have multiple programs like that on your computer. For the phone, I don't know what to use. I know Trend Micro has a product, but I'm not honestly sure if it's necessary, although it would be a good idea. I'm honestly curious on your thoughts, especially since we're hearing high numbers in this set. These are very high numbers and I don't see that going down. And that's why I put it out there as a question. Do you think it could go down? It's a possibility, but from what I've been reading, I highly doubt it. I think this coming year we are going to see a very high number, higher than I've probably ever seen and it wouldn't surprise me today.
as we start 2020 and I move into the third podcast, I know that data is going to be needing to be protected more than ever. And while I continue to work to catch up on other stuff, as well as prepare myself for full-time employment, I must keep as much data as I have as safe as possible. What do you think of this segment? Do you think that it could go down? And if not, what do you think the numbers are going to be like for 2020? Email, iMessage, tech, that's T-E-C-H at M-E-N-V-I dot O-R-G. If you don't have iMessage, you can text or WhatsApp. The phone number is 804-442-6975. I look forward to hearing from you about this because this is a big time problem that I think will continue to have an impact at least for the foreseeable future. Welcome back to the podcast. On January 16th, there is going to be a luncheon that LA Metro and the Accessibility Advisory Committee Steering Committee will be attending. Several of us on the steering committee are going to be speaking on various aspects of transportation, from wheelchairs to traveling as a blind person. In the October elections for the Accessibility Advisory Committee for Los Angeles Metro, I was re-elected as second vice chair. I want to take this opportunity and talk a little bit about my speech and how I use the bus system. My speech came about after many different types of experiences. I have gone ahead and talk to you about Transit App. And I have not demoed Transit App for quite a while. I demoed it when I first used it. And I even demoed the one small portion of my trip where I set the stop and it did tell me when I was supposed to get off. The interface has changed a little bit and it's been very consistent lately. But it still has its drawbacks. And while this particular luncheon is giving awards to bus operators who have gone above the call of duty for people with disabilities 
The Accessibility Advisory Committee has also awarded bus drivers who have done a good thing, like help somebody get on a bus or help somebody get off the bus when they could not get off exactly where they needed to be and made sure that they were okay. Or, if needed, get them to a safe location close to where they live. As examples of what drivers could do if it is warranted. Now, I have had both good and bad experiences through the years. My speech talks about how I want to thank one particular operator for doing their job and making sure that I got off a very packed bus. And this driver also called the stops along the route in question, as well as what we call the automated voice announcement system. Now, this ties in to the technology side of things because the automated voice announcement system relies on GPS. And when the bus is told what route it's on, it has a complete stop list for that route. For example, if I were to take the bus line 161 from Thousand Oaks to Canoga Station and I picked it up at Ventura Boulevard and Canoga Avenue the bus would call stops from there to the Canoga Station where I could catch the orange line to go on my, on my merry way But let's say you get on the bus and the bus doesn't call anything. Well, I know that Canoga Station is the last stop anyhow, so that's a plus. But what if you were never on that bus? You did not understand where Canoga Station was and you knew nothing about it. As I said, I've used the transit app. But picture you don't have transit app or you don't know how to use it. And it's been quite a long time since I've demoed that app. Well, you would have to rely on the bus driver. And as blind people, we can tell the bus driver where we want to get off and that is what I did many many years ago and more times than not the drivers were okay and they let me off but there have been times where they did not and in one case 
I was late to my appointment and I had to call my person I was meeting and tell them I missed my stop. So my solution in my speech is something that I had mentioned when the folks that work with the AVA came to talk to the Accessibility Advisory Committee about the automated voice announcement system and how it worked. And I said, why don't you have the drivers call the stops regardless so that we can have the whereabouts of where we are? And they said, that'll never happen. I said, why not? They said, because the system's too large. And I pretty much got an FU out of this guy. But I think two things are going to happen. First of all, the gentleman in question is going to retire. And I think that then implies that we have the opportunity to change this. Now, the bad news is that there aren't going to be any train operators there. And this is a bigger problem on the trains, especially on the underground subway. Now in LA County, the underground subway mainly consists of the red and purple lines. And there are segments of the blue and there are segments of the gold line that are underground. The blue line only covers one station, 7th Street. The gold line covers two different stations. I believe they're in Pasadena. And I believe they are Mariachi Plaza and Soto Station, respectively. Now, this is kind of a problem because in those underground stations, you don't have that feedback from Transit App. And I've been on trains where the automated voice announcement system is calling stops backwards or not at all. We don't have any way of traveling up front to talk to the operator. On the trains, they are enclosed in a cab. Now we could 
go to the emergency button, press it, and tell them that the thing's not calling stops and we need to get off at X stop. But on a packed train, and us not necessarily knowing the area, except that we're on the right platform, you know, I don't know if that's really the right solution. I think no matter what mode of transportation we have, whether we use the underground system or the bus, we should have equal opportunity of knowing exactly where we are. And I don't know about other metro apps in other states, but the LA Metro app itself called Go Metro is accessible, but all it is able to do is show you what buses are around and their bus stops. And each bus stop in LA County is numbered. I would say we have over 15,000 bus stops according to the number system because one number that sticks out to me at one of my stops is 15968 in like 14-something. There are a lot of bus stops in LA County. I think it would be quite interesting for us somehow to travel and see how other bus systems are run. Do they have an AVA? What is it like? How accurate is it? What do the operators do when they don't work? I was talking to somebody from Philadelphia whose AVA wasn't working and the bus company didn't really say a whole lot. They'd call and complain. I even said, why don't you look to see if there's a committee like mine and see if you can't go and voice your concerns at a public meeting. But not every agency is going to have one. And I feel lucky that we have one the accessibility units only six and you know uh, these six are really in for it you know they got a lot of work and so on this segment I'm only saying this if you're able to use the technology like transit app or other technologies that are out there to help you get off your bus I'd say use them you can't today rely on your driver 
it's a sad fact, but it's just the way it is. I mean, even underground, you can't rely on your driver. I wish I didn't have to say that, but you can't. There are going to be some good drivers and there are going to be some bad ones. But I think what we have to do is get all of the available agencies to see this picture. And the only way we can do that is to get in front of them like I'm going to be doing on the 16th and telling them about my good experiences and my bad experiences and a solution that I think would help everybody. Now picture this. What if you don't know the area at all or you are not an English speaker natively? Now all of the streets are in English, right? You've got Canoga Avenue. Ventura Boulevard, Topanga Canyon, Burbank, Victory, Van Owen, Sherman Way, Van Nuys. You know, those are some major street names and some minor street names around L.A. County in the valley where I live. Now, if the AVA is working, it will call these streets. That helps somebody who can't speak English very well because it also visually displays it. And they know when to get off. And that can benefit everybody. I want this to work for everybody. If it's not working, and the drivers don't call stops and somebody gets on and they say I want to get off at Sepulveda and Victory and the driver just says the enunciator will tell you and the enunciator doesn't say a word then they're gonna have no idea I'm sorry but I think that doesn't fly It can't fly today. And if I could possibly get them to close their eyes and picture getting on a bus and being asked to be let off at a certain stop, and by a landmark, I knew we were well past it. And all I got was the bus stop is across the street. Where across the street? What corner? Which direction? Right? I don't know how many sighted people listen to my podcast. And if you are sighted, I'd be curious if you could picture this. You know, get on a bus 
close your eyes and listen. Yeah, no, don't do it the whole ride, of course. At least not intentionally. But think. How would that make you feel? And would you would rather have the driver calling stops whether it's working or not? Because I would. If it was working and then somewhere down the way it wasn't, the fact that they are continuing to call stops is a plus. I hope that I am able to tape this awards ceremony and at some point be able to bring it to this podcast and even White Cane Travel. It could be a couple of hours long and that's okay. The goal is to have people awarded for doing something that helps the disabled community and the community at large, I think. I think the community at large could benefit from something like this because we all know that technology fails. We talk about it all the time throughout the podcast. This fails, that fails. The website was broken into this admin account got hacked you know uh, this website had a broken link and that broken link somehow got infiltrated with malware and for other agencies that might hear this Your AVA is just like the internet. It breaks. And I ask you, what are you doing when your AVA breaks? Are you just sending out sorry? You supposedly fixed the problem, but yet you see complaints of the same buses and the same routes having problems? What are you going to do about it long term? I'm Jared Reimer. Think about these as this podcast continues. On Monday, January 13th, 2020, I had the opportunity to sit in on a Zoom conference that AT guys held in regards to the Canute 360. More information can be found on AT guys' website at atguys.com. And we have the post from Blind Bargains available 
on our blog. I know that this particular post was made on Friday the 10th. And the way that I set up the retweeting, it would go out a week later. Be that as it may, I'm sure that that post will be updated if needed. The Canute 360 is an interesting piece of technology. Let me take an opportunity to summarize what I heard. And if you're interested, you may go to my website at technology.jaredreimer.net and search for the Blind Bargains post on it or just go to blindbargains.com. So this device is nine lines of 40 cell braille. From what JJ says, the device has not had any major problems and it is just a prototype. The unit will be shipping soon and the introductory price is $2,499. PayPal credit and a credit card would help pay for those and I am one of these who would not want to put that much money on my own credit card or even on PayPal credit. I had 400 and some dollars in purchases and I knew I got myself in the mess and my family at the time said what are you doing and I said well I bought music I bought this and yes it was over months of time and I realized I didn't have the money I thought you know what I'm gonna have to pay for it and uh, one time I found that I had enough money to pay off the rest of the balance and I've not gotten myself in that predicament again be that as it may each person's gonna be different and each person will decide how they want to do it but me personally it's still expensive for a blind person to be buying that and for an assistive technology company like AT guys whose founder is blind they ought to know that we as blind people can't afford it but at the same time they're in it to make the money just like any other business be that as it may what I'm saying here is that it's gonna be up to you whether this is something you'll want the unit is plugged into a computer through USB and it also has an SD card I also understand from what I've heard that it is not able to be used with a screen reader because there aren't any drivers that are available for the unit to work with a screen reader at this time the screen reader manufacturers whether it's VS Barrow or the NVDA project team they'll have to make drivers to work with this and they're gonna have to figure out how to go ahead and do this to the point where it would make sense I heard the demo 
and this thing sounds like an embosser every time it brings up new data. One of the things that caught my attention was that you could continue to read near the bottom of the display while you can get the top of the display a refresh. And if you time it right, you'll be able to finish reading by the time it gets down there and start the next page of Braille. What really interested me was a new Braille format called BEF. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but the standard is BRF, or Braille Ready File. You can get Braille Ready files anywhere, and any of the major transcription software such as Braille 2000, Braille Blaster, and Duxbury can produce BRF files. They talked about Braille Blaster, and I almost was going to put my hand up and talk about Braille 2000, but I decided that this wasn't the best time. But I will make it public and say that Braille 2000 can also make a nine-line file, and you do that through adjust document. And in there, you can tell it that you want a 9 line by 40 cell page. And it will adjust itself to do so. You do this by going to Adjust Document and selecting the lines per page. And if you set it to 9, you can tab past the cancel. You can change the padding for left and right centered. And just double check and make sure that cells per line is set for 40. And by doing this, what was going to be one page of Braille in the example that I'm utilizing to see how this works it becomes about four pages I believe or maybe three yeah, I think it looks like three because I do see the uh, marks So, if I put the page numbering in, then it is then three pages in length. So, I did it on a file that I don't care about, and I'm not going to change its uh, file by saving it, but it can be done. I would suggest that you check each documentation for the program that you choose to determine how this works. Now you can't change the files on BARD. 
Bard is set for 40 by 25, so the page numbering isn't going to match. Be that as it may, it will do just fine and will accommodate the 25 lines, but it just won't completely match what you're reading. It does take into account how many pages it's going to be. One of the things that JJ talked about was loading in a calendar and getting the spatial recognition right then and there if you had a calendar in Braille. It has bookmarks and the menu structure although not really detailed reminds me of our old internet days whereby the the page numbering system if you want to go to page or the particulars of doing something in a menu was the old link system on the internet where you had a number assigned to each. For example, if you had a menu item which was going to the main menu and that item number was 5, you would press 5 and it would take you to the main menu. Or if you wanted to go to a page number, you'd go to the same thing. You'd select that and go to page. The AT Guys website will be updated as Kelly Saperja asked about the manual, and the manual is available now. It should be available through AT Guys as soon as they get a chance to update that page. I'm a tech and I really wanted to see what it had to offer. Now you can read offline and that's well and good. And I could see myself, if I ever got one of these, to use this for my show. Now, would I use it to check my work in Braille? Absolutely. Knowing that I only had nine lines at a time and the Braille page was 25 lines, that would be fine by me. I wouldn't normally put my Braille at 9 by 40 because then when I reformatted it, back to 25 by 40 everything would change but I could definitely utilize what I had to be able to check my work and know spatially exactly what I had the company name is Bristol Braille and I'm not exactly sure where they're located It does sound like a very interesting device. 
and I'm sure over time we'll find out what the price is going to be. Through the end of January, you can pre-order through AT Guys for $2,499. And uh, if it meets your needs, that's great. It is awesome. But I know it's really out of my price range. Were you there during the presentation on January 13th? What did you think? And would it be something that you would want to get? If we're able to get a copy of the recording, we will play it at a future date. Understanding the fact that pricing may have changed and we'll notate that before we play that recording. I hope this is of interest to, to some of you. And let me know what you think. this podcast this is going to complete the program and I hope you've enjoyed it on future podcasts we're going to cover the critical insights and what that talk was all about from December 2019 it was a webinar that I attended that I blogged about and also talked about briefly I want to take this opportunity to play that because it was very, very fascinating. Also, in future podcasts, we are going to go ahead and hopefully get Assignment 17 submitted. I just submitted another draft to get brailed, and I made some adjustments based on what I understand of the lesson. I fixed a couple of items, fixed all of the long dashes to short dashes, and it looks like it adjusted itself to be on eight pages, which is what it had been for a while, and it moved one of the lines down one as line 25 on page 7 was initially blank. Based on some understanding, I've made an adjustment to move the page indicator up one line and moved the other text down one line. I also made some other adjustments. And so I'm going to take a look at that and see if I'm happy with that or if there's still something I need to adjust. So that'll also be coming up. And, of course, we will continue the Braille 2000 discussion. If any changes are made, we will go ahead and let you know about them if it affects the talking edition. And we'll continue to talk about the tutorial and 
play demos, and so forth as the podcast series continues. We'll also cover any interesting security news. We've got a very interesting piece of capture news that I hope to cover. And whatever else is on your mind. And here's where you can be a part of the show. You can email and iMessage me at any time. The email address for this podcast is tech, that's T-E-C-H, at M-E-N-V-I dot O-R-G. You may also send a normal text message or a WhatsApp message to 804-442-6975. And if you've got me on other social media, such as Twitter and LinkedIn or Facebook, and you have those, you can utilize that as well. I look forward to bringing you more great content as the podcast series continues. This completes this podcast, and I hope to see you again on another one. So long.